I want to talk this morning about um, something we've talked about before a couple of years ago. So, um, I mean, if, if, if it's a very good sign, if you're like, oh, I don't need to hear this, Nate, like we talked about it two years ago, that's, you've got a mind like a steel trap. Fantastic. But, um, but I'm thinking if it's a couple of years ago, we can probably reflect on it again this morning. Um, it's really important, isn't it? And I've talked about this. I, I think the Bible is an amazing book, the, the most amazing book obviously the word of god um but it's in and and i believe that if your heart is to seek god because i think the promises of god back this up if you're if you're opening it genuinely trying to seek god and submit to him i believe he can speak to you and and show you amazing things even if you're a novice at the book if, if you've got that the, that trifecta of willing to submit to the opinions of others so go oh you might have got that a bit wrong if you're willing to submit to god and and the whole exercise is seeking him then I believe that God can show you things you've got some honey and bread that's fantastic that's so good oh excellent um but also we need to be humble that while that's true there's so much depth to this and it's not that just there's there's so much depth to the bible but there's so much cultural depth and it's more interesting than that it's in a culture that's not our culture so so there's yes Jesus can show us with our English translations, especially if we're seeking him and willing to, in community, not just be lone rangers. I believe um, when I meet some of the most unbalanced people in their views and they're strong and they're inflexible and rigid with these wrong views, one of the, one of the characteristics I've learned is not so much their technique, but they are lone rangers. All their study was done by themselves with YouTube and a commentary. Like, they never tested it with anyone else. I think that's a a pathway to someone who is rigid and almost impossible to work with because nothing was done in community. Everything they formed was an individual opinion. And um, I believe that if you submit to community, submit to Christ, God can show you things. But God can keep showing you things because the Bible is deep. And it's full of conventions and, and ways of thinking from a culture that is not our own. So there's always exciting things we can learn when we reflect on the Jewish way of understanding the scriptures. And one of the things, so, so a really simple difference. So in Western narrative, so the Bible is mainly narrative. It's its number one teaching form. About 47% I think is narrative or something like it. It's around that figure. And, um, and so Western narratives, right? Here's a little detail. Have you noticed in Bible narrative, there's not much detail, right? Like, he was tall can be the complete description for someone. He was tall, that's it. Like, well, that's not very descriptive. And in, but in Western narrative, it's, all, it's usually very descriptive. You describe everything, the outfit, the weather, the, the shrubs to the side. You can do all that. And that but then in that is a real simple convention. In Western narrative, there's lots of detail, and the details don't necessarily mean something. In Jewish narrative, there's less details and the details nearly always mean something. So when we find out that Saul is tall, it's the one detail they like to make a big deal about and that in that detail means a lot for the story. That makes sense? So just a simple convention difference. And, and the other thing is, um, in Jewish narrative, what the, what the authors have done throughout the Bible is that they've placed the same patterns in stories to help you understand that the same thing at work in this passage is the same thing at work in this passage is the same thing. They do these little, it's like hyperlink. The Bible is like a hyperlinked text. As in, so they'll throw a little bit of a verse in here to show that the same thing going on here is the same thing that happened back here is the same thing that happened back here. 
And we have our own version of this. So we have our archetypal stories in, in Western narrative. So for instance, you have like the boy meets girl archetype and movies and stories play off that all the time, right? Like, so, and, and we know, and the way they create meaning is they play off them or do slight variations of that archetype. But because we as people brought up in the West know those little archetypes so well, we can see what the director's doing. Unfortunately, though, when it comes to Jewish narrative, we don't have the same tools. We don't see it so obviously. It's not the same culture. Um, and so one of, the, um, one of the things they do in Jewish narrative, and this is cool, is they throw design patterns in there. So one of the design patterns you'll see throughout the Old Testament is waters dividing and God bringing order from the chaos. Like it's this little thing that they keep entering into the passages at different points. And, and another one that we're going to look at today is, and we've talked about this before because I've used it so many times, but there's a, there's a pattern set up in Genesis that they repeat again and again and, and again and again, and it's this, that human beings see what is right in their own eyes, take what is right in their own eyes, and a whole bunch of bad stuff happens because of it. So humans see and decide what is good for themselves. They take what is right in their own eyes and chaos happens as a result. And this little pattern is thrown throughout scripture and it's a way of saying, it's a way of that author saying, because they use that pattern in Genesis and they use that pattern in the story of Abraham and Sarah. And for instance, when the Israelites look at Saul, they, they linguistically do this on purpose. Do you not see that he is tall? Like in other words, human beings are once again seeing and deciding what is good in their own eyes. So they do this on purpose, right? To try and hyperlink the text so that it doesn't have to explain things obviously. So we're gonna look at one of those today um, in, in, in Genesis. Um, so really, really simple. Um, in Genesis, we're not going to read um, all of it, but if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, right, and it comes at the end, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And all the other verses before that, it repeats that. God saw, and it was good. God saw, and it was good. So... Very simple pattern has been set up. Who sees and decides what is good? God. Who sees and judges what is good? God. Okay. So they play off that pattern and we see the language that they place around Eve. So if you read um, Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 11 with me, um, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here's where the play on words starts to happen. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, who is seeing and deciding what is good? Eve. She's taken the place of God. She's seeing and judging what is good. And then what does she do? So, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So the humans saw what was good in their eyes, they took what was good in their own eyes, and then things went south because they took the place of God and took and decided what was right in their own eyes. And so they've set up a pattern. And what the authors of the Old Testament do is they keep inserting the same pattern, not so that to say something new, but to say the same thing. And, and what they're going to do is they're going to show you in Abraham, they're going to show you in Isaac, they're going to show you through all these characters, they're going to keep referencing this same pattern, and you, the reader, is meant to pick up this. I hope by now you can see the pattern in yourself. That's what the authors are doing. The authors are going, well, if you can't see yourself in Eve, maybe you'll see yourself in Abraham's sin. Maybe you'll see yourself in David's sin. Maybe you'll see... And, and, and it's, it's actually setting up an argument by pattern... That's saying, this is the human condition. And if you can't see it in this character, we'll give you a bunch of other characters you might be able to see it in. Um, and so, and I'll give you a simple way they do that, right? So let's jump forward to Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 to 4. Now, I want you to remember the language. I love, if I had a PowerPoint, this is so powerful, right? Because I'm showing you how blatantly, obviously they do this. So if I showed you a PowerPoint, I could show you the language where it says... And Eve saw the fruit and took what was right in her own eyes and then handed it to Adam. Okay, I want you to remember that language. Okay, and look what the author of Genesis does in Genesis chapter 16. So, do you remember the background of this story? Abram and Sarah, they promised to have kids. How's that going? Not so good. They're getting pretty old. They're thinking, what's the go here? And Sarah has a really bad idea. I know. I'll give you my servants to sleep with. And Abraham's like, okay, like, what a noble man, anyway. And um, so it's not, it's not the most noble of stories, um, but have a look at the language that the author inserts into the text. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children, so go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So, Ab so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, look at this, look at Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And then chaos had slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Now, in the, in the Hebrew, the, the connections between the patterns are even more obvious. But essentially... I loved it when, when I learnt about this, uh, and I learnt about this through the Bible Project, guys, because what always used to annoy me in the Old Testament was I'd read something like this, and even though we know it is wrong to grab your servant and give her to your husband and abuse her in that way, it always annoyed me that the text never blatantly said it was wrong. That always used to irritate me. I'm like, but that's the thing, we're Westerners. We're not reading it with the conventions that they're used to. The Jewish reader reads that, and says, well, why, the, the author doesn't need to write it. He just referenced the original sin. The author is clearly saying it's wrong. It's not even subtle. It's like in the same way, like, um, 
If you saw watching a western and you saw two guys on a quiet street and a tumbleweed roll over and that little tune, do, do, imagine the director stopped the movie and said, by the way, there's about to be a gunfight. You would go, well, thanks for treating me like a two-year-old, I know. This is exactly the same for the Jewish reader. They don't need to that pointed out to them because very clearly that the, the writer is using a pattern to say the same sin going on back there is the same sin happening here. And they do it again and again and again. And it's all to make this. If the authors of the Old Testament thought that they needed to reference this again and again and again, it's super important for us. We are meant to recognize this condition in us, that you and I are capable of seeing what is good in our own eyes, taking what is good in our own eyes and causing a lot of chaos. We are, we are, we are guilty of taking the place of God. And, and, and so the sin of Eve is the sin of Abraham, is the sin of Isaac and Jacob. And it is because they just inserted the same pattern again and again and again. It's really fascinating stuff to learn about. Like, I, I, I love learning about this stuff. I find it really, really cool. So if this is, and this is a really simple reflection today. If that's the human condition, can I ask you, do you see that in yourself? Do you see that there is a propensity to see and decide what is good instead of God, to take what is good in your own eyes, and then you see problems in your life whenever you do that. Have you seen that? Have you seen it work out that way? And you know, like the way you can imagine, like if you weren't convinced that, oh no, I don't think I'm quite like Adam and Eve, maybe I'm more like this guy, maybe I'm more like this guy. The Bible gives us all these different flawed characters to see it in, but if you don't land at the point where you're seeing it in yourself, they haven't achieved their aim. Their whole aim was to make the reader realise this is the human tragic condition that we can't escape and we need rescuing from. So a few things just as, as we reflect on this, this simple little reflection this morning. How do we keep ourselves from doing that? If that's what we have a propensity towards, if that's the tragic human condition, what are some of the things we need to do to protect ourselves from that? What are some of the things? What are we doing right now? Yeah, we're meeting. We're meeting together. Whether it's in the hub, whether it's here, whether it's midweek, whether it's meeting up one-on-one -on -one with people. Community, this is what helps you. Remind yourself. What else keeps us from, from adopting that position? Pray with others. Yeah, pray. Pray by individually and together. Pray. Meditating on His Word day and night. Declaring truths that keep you away from that. Because the writers of the Old Testament together, remember, they, they hyperlinked each other. They were aware of each other when they wrote their texts. They were aware of the ancient ones before that and they would reference these same things. They were trying to let generation after generation know no generation has outgrown this. And that's true today. No generation has outgrown the propensity to see what is good in their own eyes, take and cause a lot of chaos. And, and if there is, so whether you're reading your Bible or meeting up with people or declaring truths to God in prayer and song or coming to church, it's all to protect you from slipping in to the thing that causes chaos in your life. I'm not talking about whether God will forgive you or not. I'm talking about protecting yourself from chaos that you can cause. There's, world, there's chaos in the world and it will affect us no matter what. But 
Eve and Adam caused chaos. Abraham caused chaos in his family. And, you know, you've got to think, how can you not foresee that that action will not cause chaos? But still, right, he saw and took what was good in his own eyes, and chaos resorted as a result. But the other thing is, this is something you need to be vigilant about because you can never get completely beyond it. And that is why we have Jesus. That is why we have Jesus. Jesus came to us because we couldn't escape this cycle. The reason it happens right throughout the Old Testament is actually making a point in and of itself. The Israelites never escaped this cycle. They saw what was right in their own eyes, they took it and they kept sabotaging themselves, right? So, and, and in the New Testament that continues, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's why God came down to die in our place and raise us up to be with Him. But because He's done that, because we have His forgiveness, we can experience the joy of leaving that behind. This week you can experience the joy of Forget, forget doing what is right in your own eyes. Learn what God says is good. Learn what God says is good. Trust it. Don't take like Eve did. Don't take like Abraham did. Just sit under what God says is good and trust it. Adam and Eve had the whole garden, right? They could sit and enjoy God's goodness. goodness. The only thing they had to do was continue to let him define good and evil. Continue to let him define what is good. But Eve decided she'll decide what is good in her own eyes. And she screwed up. And then Adam screwed up. And they all screwed up together. And they all kept screwing up until we kept screwing up. So the whole but, because Jesus has died for us, we can leave that behind, friends. And we can experience the joy. You can experience the joy of going, you know what, this week, God, you define what's good and evil. You tell me what's good for me, and I'm just going to enjoy that. I'm just going to sit under that. I'm just going to let that be, because there's only one judge of what is good. And it's not me, and it's not you. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for it's really smart people who can show us things in the scriptures that, um, yeah, that I would never work out myself. But when they see it, it's like really eye-opening. So I thank you for the for the uh, scholars who are familiar with our Jewish um, conventions and patterns in the text, so we can learn a bit more and enjoy it. Uh, yeah, but I just pray, Lord, that while we while that's been really enjoyable to work through, that we would heed that we would heed the simple warning there that we have a propensity to see and decide what is good in our own eyes and take that and cause a lot of chaos. Lord, can you protect us from that by keeping us, keep our hearts really centred in the place that declares, actually, the Lord is good and faithful. The Lord is good and faithful. Whatever he decides for me is good. Whichever way he leads me is good. I have no desire to reach up and grasp and take what is good in my own eyes. But I'm happy to sit and enjoy God's goodness as he defines good and evil, as he defines right from wrong, as he defines what is good for me and what is not good for me. And I pray, Lord, when we slip back into that awful, tragic human condition, Lord, that you would pull us back out through your forgiveness, through your grace, redeem us, Lord, into the people you want us to be, people who love you and love people and trust you with all our hearts so that we can experience the blessing of living under your kingdom, your kingdom come in our hearts and lives, Lord. So I just pray that that would be true for everyone here this morning, that they would live this week 
fully trusting you, fully living under your rule and experiencing the blessing of that. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.